This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are well off my shelf, where we go through my DVDs talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Austin Wong joins me in chatting about two whimsical and thoughtful films. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Welcome! Thank you. It's great to be back. Yes! you. Uh, the last time you were on, I think, was for um, Valentine's, Valentine's Day. And that was before the whole world shut down. Um, and yeah, I haven't seen you since. <laughs> no, it's true. That was the last time. So well, it's nice to see your face on Zoom. Yes, it's nice to see you too and your glorious man locks that are happening there. <laughs> I haven't cut my hair since you've seen me last. So. Yes. <laughs> I will tell everybody, it's glorious. Just take my word for it. Everything is fine. <laughs> uh, so um, what have you been doing to keep yourself busy while you've been trapped inside? Well, you know, I've been spending a lot of time with my daughter. Um, mm-hmm. She was off school for a while, and I was working from home, so that was very nice. And uh, just sort of hanging out and spending a lot of money online, you know? Yes. So you're Going doing what everybody else is doing. Yes. And my husband's been baking a lot, so that's been great. Oh, so that means you're like me with the, the COVID-25, I'm trying to call it right now? At least 25, yeah. <laughs> it's been, he's made a cheese bread loaf, I think every week since it started and oh my God. and pies we've been having pies like i think i don't know at least one every three weeks i don't know maybe that's too many but a lot of pies there's been a yeah. lot of pies yeah um i've been doing a lot of cooking since i've been home and all of those um digests and articles and things online that said if you cook your own food you'll lose weight is just lies um i've gone completely opposite so well thanks for nothing guys well i have seen pictures of what you're cooking and i can see why (laughs) because they look incredibly rich and super delicious like that noodle one that you made not too long ago was like some fancy ramen noodle thing do you remember Mm-hmm. I've done a couple of different ones, yeah. Yeah. Was that based on uh, Parasite when they made that? Do you remember that movie? Um, yeah. Um, no, it wasn't. I just wanted noodles, and I just made them. <laughs> uh, like, th- like, that's the thing. Like, it's not even that I know what my inspiration is or I know what I'm going to cook even 10 minutes before I'm going to cook. It's usually I'm hungry. What does my, what does my body feel for? Sometimes it's noodles, sometimes it's potatoes, sometimes I want something, you know, Asian or something Caribbean or, or something in between, or sometimes it's the open the fridge, what do I have, pull some stuff out and throw it in a pot, so, and see what happens. That is the sign of a true chef, you're not even using a cookbook. Yeah, no, I learned how to cook from my mom, and um, my mom, like, she has certain recipes that maybe she cooks maybe once a year or once every couple of years that she'll have like an actual recipe for. But most of the time, like how she cooked was never from a cookbook. It was just like, Oh, a handful of this should be good. Oh, grab some of that stuff, throw it in there. And you know, and then from that, as I got older, I just started trying more things and it just makes stuff. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you should start writing down some of your better recipes. I have actually, I have this, I have a secret recipe book I've started now. Um, um, that's, I think I've got like 50 recipes in it since I've been home. Wow. 
but the worst part is I don't do measurements. So it's just a bunch of ingredients <laughs> and then instructions. I'm like, like a handful of onions and a pinch of this. And I don't know, like, a, a, like up to your knuckle, I cover it in water. Like it's, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> I feel like, you know, real chefs will get that kind of cookbook, but someone like me will want measurements. Oh yeah. Everybody I know has told me that they're like, do you have a, a recipe for this? I'm like, I can tell you what goes in it, but I can't tell you how much of a thing goes in it. And they're like, oh, that's not helpful at all. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, maybe that should be a new podcast for you off my kitchen or. Oh, what's in the cupboard? My fridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> off my oven. <laughs> Just stuff, you know? Yeah. Man. But yeah, I keep, I keep getting uh, notes about that. Just like, oh my gosh, you're such a good chef. And I'm like, am I? I don't think so, but sure. It looks pretty good. I must admit, a lot of the time, I'm like, that's pretty tasty. <laughs> uh, today for lunch, it took me 20 minutes. I made a mushroom rosé pasta with grilled shrimp. Oh, my God. Yeah. that was. It's just stuff I had in the fridge. Mm. That sounds amazing. It was delicious. Oh, my God. Do you know what I had for lunch today? What? Half a block of cheese. <laughs> And the foot of a loaf with peanut butter in it. <laughs> you know what? That's probably the same amount of calories. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. It was good cheese, though. It was truffle cheese from Fifth Town. What is it? The Fifth Town shop in Prince Edward County. It's like a cheese shop. Yeah. Do you like truffle? Delicious. Yes. Oh, my God. You will love this cheese. It was so good. It was just Oh my God, it was so good. I just kept slicing off more pieces and more pieces and I realized, I guess this is my lunch. I've yeah. basically eaten this whole block of cheese. <laughs> don't worry, I've had, don't worry, I've had days like that where I'm like, oh, it's going to be a bowl of cereal and a bag of chips as a meal. Done. You just don't oh, get yeah. pictures of that. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm big on the cereal too. I mean, it's, you know, they make it for the most important meal of the day. So why can't it be for any meal? Exactly. I agree. Done and done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, I think cooking takes effort. And one of the reasons why I've done it since I've been home is because I have the time to do it and I want to fill up some time. So right. it's just easier to do it at this point, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I think a lot of people are sort of indulging in some hobbies now that we have more time at home. Yeah. So no other hobbies besides shopping? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I have a lot of other hobbies. Like I like to make, well, I'm writing, I'm writing like a couple of scripts and, you know, I build a lot of Lego. <laughs> <laughs> Lego's always fun. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. And I'm actually going to try to get into sewing again. Cause like when my daughter was just a baby, I would sew quilts and things and I ended up getting a lot of fabric and then I just kind of stopped but now my 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 daughter lately has been asking me to make another quilt mm -hmm. so that's something that I think I'm going to do at some point now that is something that's time consuming it is time consuming but it's quite satisfying mm -hmm. when it's done nice. it's like art you can snuggle with yeah like it's not just it's it's tangible art it's very right. tangible mm -hmm. yeah and there's a shopping component too because you get to buy a lot of fancy fabrics so that's fun <laughs> Yeah, that's the worst part. I'm like, uh, well, the thing is, is like, I understand people with the online shopping, but I'm a very tactile shopper. And like, I don't care how pretty something looks, because if I can't touch it, I'm like, mm, I, don't know. I don't know. Yeah, 
I hear you. I mean, I was that way until I wasn't really feeling comfortable going into stores, but I still needed to shop. So you just, you adapt. Yeah, you do. You do. And there's a lot of things that I've bought that I really feel like I should return and I haven't gotten around to yet. It's such a pain to like. Yeah. Go through the whole process. Yeah. Which yeah. is how probably making a lot of money with people that aren't returning stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, oh. maybe if you use a memory wiping thing, you'd forget about those purchases. And it'd be- <laughs> <laughs> nice segue. Segue. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I do have to say I thoroughly enjoyed preparing for this episode. Um, I still love both of these movies. Um, everything about them is fantastic, but I do realize in both of them that I have a very different understanding of the characters and I feel like, I don't know, as you grow with these movies, different aspects of them stick out to you even more. And but they're still both great. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like I think this is my third episode I've joined you for now because I did the uh, Valentine's Day one the year before. Previously, yes. So it's yeah, third um, one. This by far has been my favorite pair of movies because mm-hmm. like, when I rewatched both of them, it was such a pleasure to rediscover these movies. Like I remember loving Eternal Sunshine, like when I saw it and I, I think I watched it a few times back when I first discovered it. Mm-hmm. And so it's always held a special part place in my, my mind. Like it's always been on my top 10 list of all time favorite movies, but I haven't really watched it for a really long time. I just know I love it, but I haven't bothered to watch it again. So it was a nice excuse to sit down and watch it again. And I couldn't, I mean, I, I remembered the broad strokes, the plot and everything, but I, I did not remember how it all came together. I did not remember all the little plots of the, the side plots of the, the, the workers that work for the memory erasing thing. Mm-hmm. Like it was such a great movie. And I just, I really appreciate it all over again. I think it was such a good movie. Yeah. Like one thing I was worried about, which I'm finding with a lot of these movies, like they're quirky and all that kind of stuff is, is like, there's a lot of like, what was me? I'm a man and my life is difficult. And I've, I found it very frustrating to go back and watch some of these movies because that's all that's coming out of it. Right. With this, it's clearly not that. Right. Uh, it's about, it's about both of like the two main women in it, which is Kate Winslet and Christian Dunst. They're actual people. Yeah. And then all of the men are actual people, but they interact kind of normally. Like I just, like, it's not about, oh, woe is me, feel sorry for me. It's more like, you know, life is hard. I just don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, oh, it's not about your manliness. It's just about life in general. That's a, that's good. Yes. Like, in the plot sense. Yeah. Well, I did. I would say, though, I mean, Kate Winslet's character, I didn't find her that normal in a way. Like, I mean she came across as a very vivid person. Like I believed her character and everything, Mm -hmm. but I think like she falls very squarely into that whole trope, the manic Manic pixie girl. Mm -hmm. And I think, I I can't remember when that term was introduced. Like, I think it was almost famous with Kate Hudson or Um, I can't remember. I was like, I think it's slightly earlier than that. It came around. Yeah. Yeah. But so when I was watching the movie again and like she was just like the spitfire, like she was super wacky and she was 
helping to bring this shy introverted man out of out of himself like which is the classic manic pissy girl thing like they mm -hmm. help a man that's somehow stunted to realize like his life could be better and they they basically help him get his life on track and that's their function and that's the criticism of them as characters mm -hmm. but i liked so when i was watching this i kind of thought this is the classic like he's very you know bored with his job bored with his life and then here's this crazy clementine with all these hair colors like this is your classic manic pixie dream girl thing but then she says I love that, that speech. She says, I'm not here to make your life better. I'm not here to show up and turn your life around and save your life and make your life better. I'm just here trying to figure out my own shit and trying to have yeah. peace of mind. Like, I thought that was genius because it was basically the Manic Pixie Girl saying, fuck you, I'm not a Manic Pixie Girl. I'm mm -hmm. literally just trying to make my life better for mm -hmm. myself. So I thought that was kind of meta on that whole trope. Mm -hmm. And then I also liked that it turned out that in the other movies, it's always like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is like somewhat unattainable or they're dating them and then they disappear at the end, but their life is forever changed and they feel better about it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in a way that happens, but most of this movie is it's post that, like they're mad at each other. Like he's not relying on her anymore. Like mm -hmm. they're so angry with each other at the beginning that they're deleting each other from their minds. Yeah. So it's kind of post that whole fantasy. And that's what I found so romantic about this movie in a way. Cause like he's realizing through his disappearing memories that he really does care about her. And like, mm -hmm he loves her and he wants to keep her and he's, and it's just so sad to watch these memories that are truly nice, beautiful memories start to disappear. And he wants them. And he says, Oh, I should have tried harder. I should have tried harder. And at the end, I'm sort of rushing to the end here, but it's sort mm -hmm. of like at the end, I love that it ends with them meeting again. And they're obviously attracted to each other. They don't remember each other, but they want to like, Clearly, they're meant to be together. Like, mm -hmm. they're drawn together. They, they have a lot of chemistry. But I love that they actually receive all those tapes from Kristen Dunst. They hear every bad thing about the other. So mm -hmm. they actually are literally and physically confronted with evidence of everything that they would not like about the other person. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, they decide to date again. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, so... I don't know. I, I think that's actually the sad part of the movie for me, not the that not the romantic part. I think that part is the heartbreaking part of it. But which part? What part is heartbreaking? Well, okay. So so we start off. So the movie actually starts when they meet each other the second time, yeah. um, which I didn't remember because when I started, I was like, oh, that's how they met. That's so weird. She's so aggressive. That's very odd. And then then the actual title of the movie comes up, and then it's actually like the first time they've met, how they've met. And well, actually, no, it's him trying to erase her. That's where it is. And we then it goes through the memory later. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so as I'm watching it, and then as those good memories come around, that's how you see like their actual relationship actually develop the first time they meet each other and everything. You're like, Oh, that seems a lot more natural and makes a lot more sense than the part where they meet on the train where you're just like, she is, there's definitely something wrong with her. Like, this is just weird. I would not She's want to be part of so that. so aggressive and crazy. It doesn't seem like a normal character, a normal person. Exactly. So when they bring her back in his memories and they make her seem more normal, I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. 
But then it's true, like, with any tragic thing that happens, like, I mean, the first time he goes into the office, she, he, there's, like, a woman crying with, like, her her dead dog's, like, stuff in her lap, and she's just, like, bawling her eyes out, because people do things like this when they remember the bad part, and usually when it ends, that's the bad part happening. So as soon as you get past the bad part, you're just like, but can I keep the good memories? You can't keep the good stuff, which romanticizes everything which brings everything back you're like oh this is when everything's perfect but also in his mind all of the bad stuff's gone therefore it was only the good stuff why would i give stuff up and despite at the end where they're hearing about each other their emotions and their their chemistry and their body and their want for each other are so high they can't see the issue happening so when the movie ends and you realize they've decided to date each other again. I'm like, isn't it just going to fall apart again? Like, isn't ah. it going to be two years later and they're going to be broken up and angry at each other? And see. you can't keep these things from coming back because they've but, never experienced those bad things for each other because they're gone in their head, right? But see, I don't, well, see, this is why this movie, and I've had versions of this discussion over the years with people as well. It's, it's kind of a Rorschach test, whether you think mm -hmm. they're going to stay together or whether you think the movie is just showing how they're doomed to repeat their mistakes. Yeah. That people are just programmed to want what they want, even if it's not good for them. Like I, I've heard arguments that these two people should not be together. They're completely incompatible. Mm -hmm. There's a certain chemistry that they have that they are drawn to each other, but they should not be together. And they, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they're, they're unable to learn from their mistakes, so they're just going to keep repeating it, right? I don't know that that's true. Like, I think the other thing that you can say is these people really loved each other. They were drawn to each other. They're quite opposites. But I think that's, in fact, what attracts people to some people often, right? Like, the crazy person wants somebody that's grounded. The really timid person loves the energy and the boldness of the other person. Like, mm -hmm. they, they balance each other out. And I feel like knowing that all the bad stuff that I, you're right. Like they don't remember it themselves because all the memories have been erased. They also remember the good memories. Like everything has been erased. Right. Yeah. But what all that they've got left that they know about is wanting. Well, no, but what they've got salvage is this tape of them actually articulating everything that they didn't like about the other person. Mm -hmm. So they know that these are the things that could happen. They know that these are the things they once thought about the other person. Like they're mm -hmm. given the sneak peek into what's going to happen. And she says, you know, this is just me. I get restless. I'm going to feel trapped and I'm going to leave. And he goes, okay. And she mm -hmm. laughs. And the thing is, that's, I think, the beauty of a relationship. When, like anybody can love anybody if everything is good. Anybody can love everybody if it's all the shiny exterior, it's the shiny part that you present on a first or second date. Mm -hmm. Like it's the honeymoon period for a reason because you're all flush with the newness of it all, right? Yeah. But true relationship survives when you see the ugly part of the person and you choose to love them anyway. Mm -hmm. When you see the part that they would normally hide, but you love them anyway, or even because of that, because you find it endearing as well. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. and in a very literal way, that's what's happened with them. Like they have now listened to themselves talk about the parts that they don't like about the person and they know it's true because they said it themselves, but mm -hmm. they're choosing to love the person anyway. Mm -hmm. So I think they actually have the best chance ever 
because going into it the first time, it was all how great they were, and they slowly discovered the things they didn't like about each other, mm -hmm. and then they decided that that was so annoying that they were just going to give up on it, right? Because, you know, some relationships, like, you have to work at it. You have to decide that the good is better than the bad, mm -hmm. right? In this case, they already know what the bad is, and they're already choosing to accept it. So they've, they've had this one step further, and I feel they have all the good stuff to experience for the first time again in different forms. Mm-hmm. Because the, the chemistry is there. That's how I yeah. think. Yeah, you know, no, I agree. Like, the chemistry is definitely there. And I, and I understand at the end of the movie why they end up together. So I don't think it's weird they end up together or anything. I understand why they get together. And mm. through the memories and through their interactions, all that kind of stuff, it makes sense that they get together at the end. But my thing is, like, like this movie is really about, is really about, like, you know, you're doomed to repeat your mistakes. And as you've mentioned... And, I don't. I don't think that's what it's about. But anyway. Okay. Um. But 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 my thing with those two characters is that it's also their tapes are romanticized. Like her tape no, about they're, him. Their tapes are not romanticized. They are trashing the other person. That's the opposite of romanticized. So on her tape, she is trashing him. Yes, I will agree with you. But if you actually listen to the things that she he says about her, they're actually he's. When, what does he say? He's like, when you first meet her, this she's got this like great personality. She's got like this big hair, and she's she's out there and she's fun, and you know she's going to take you on adventure. She makes you believe you're going to take an adventure. But then he says, but it's all a lie, right? And I understand that. But then he also is just like he's just like, well, she drinks too much and she parties too much, but you know, you still want to be around her. And like, if you, if you listen to what he's saying, he says it's a lie, but then he just keeps saying relatively nice things about her. And I and think he says that, but then at the end of the day, she just wants to like have sex with you because that's the only thing she has to offer to make people like you, to make yeah. people like her. And she like, says, terrible thing and, to say. but she's like, but she also says that's not true. And he's like, yeah. I, I know that. Like, I, I don't, I wouldn't think that. And, but I also think it's because they they don't remember what's happened before. They don't know, and and like I said, it's it's the chemistry. It's the it. There's all of this stuff that you just want. Yeah, but, and but you're putting yeah. it out there. No, totally. But I think that normally when two people meet meet each other and they're very attracted to each other, they're not going to hear these ugly things about each other that the person said. In this case, they're going to know that you know she's not going to want to do some of the things that make it true what he said of her and she he's not do you know what i mean and he's mm -hmm. going to think twice before he does some of the things that she criticized about him like it's given them some sort of cheat sheet into the future of what bugs them about each other and they yeah. know that, so they have a chance to address it if they want mm -hmm. you know and if they feel like they want and i think that the, the sign is that they do want to because in spite of it all they want to give it a chance i mean it's true it could go off the rails again but i mm -hmm. feel like we're not just robots that are just going to do the same program. Like we, we take information, we process it and we can learn from it. Right. Mm -hmm. And in this, this go round, they have more information than they did the first time because That's they, true, have, yeah. they have the, the information of what bugs them about the other person. So mm -hmm. they can't not put that in consideration, like whether or not they can, they can put their true selves aside and actually not bug the other person in that way remains mm. to be seen. But I think people can change and grow a little bit if they know, if they, if they care enough about the person to try to make something work, mm. they can, they can make it work. And if they know that that's something that they should 
it's like therapy, right? When you go to therapy, like I've never been to therapy, but my parents are both psychologists. So mm -hmm. I have some ideas, but I mean, it's like, you can choose to ignore the advice or not. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like therapy is meant to bring up things that maybe you're choosing not to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you have, the point of it in part is that once you've acknowledged it, you can use that information to improve your life because you can make a different decision. Yeah. So but in a sense, that's the, that's, the, that's the opportunity that's being presented to them. Okay, so maybe I'm a cynic, uh, I'm assuming so, but, um, but I think it can also work in a very detrimental way because sometimes when people learn about something, they can fixate on it, right? It's just like, it's like, oh, I bought a yellow car, now all you see is yellow cars outside. Whereas yeah. like her, you're like, oh, you know, he's just so boring. And then she's like, she sits there and she's like, oh my God, he is boring. What am I doing here? And it falls apart faster than, than it takes than usual. It could. it could, except that she really likes him. Yeah. But you know what? We're both impossible. It's impossible to know how it goes, which is the beauty of this movie. It could really go either way. Yeah. But, and, and the thing is too, is that I would believe either way. Yeah. Right. Because the movie is so well structured and the characters are so well put together. And, and yeah. it's just such like a, you know, like the movie starts in the middle of the movie, but also at the end of their relationship and it goes back to their beginning. And yeah. it's just such like a, a weird yeah. flow that like describing how, like, like even just describing how this movie works is a relatively complicated thing to just 100%. tell people what it's about. But that's not, actually, we should talk about too, just the structure is so brilliant. Like mm -hmm. the story is complicated anyway, but the way it's presented makes it very complicated because like you don't know where you are in the story. And yeah. a lot of the story is not really happening because it's just his memory that's happening. That's mm -hmm. getting degraded. Yeah. And it's, it's him mem remembering it's how him we remembering. ended up at this point. That's right. Yeah. And I just, but, you know, there's actual scenes of him in the office and then there's memories of him in the office that just mm -hmm. happen. Like, it's just so complex the way they've sort of structured it. Mm -hmm. But I loved the lo-fi effects that they did, like lights flicking off as they're running away from things shutting down. Yeah. Or the books in the bookshop that she's in and then they cut away and then all the books are now white. So all the content of the books is gone. Yeah. Like, I just love these practical effects these practical decisions to show the degradation of the memories without cgi i just thought mm -hmm. it was so effective and i just yeah. i loved the the visceralness of all the sand and the water and those scenes and the mm -hmm. roof collapsing like it just it just made it everything so immediate like i really apart from the story which i obviously loved i just loved the filmmaking yeah i loved yes. i loved the way it was directed i loved the way it was set directed i loved i loved it all i just thought mm -hmm. it was such a genius movie yeah, it really, and, and that's the thing that you get lost in in it as well, is that it conveys the idea so well yeah. that you're just like, you know, like even the scenes where he's trying to hide her in other memories and he's like the yes. kid under the table and he's like, I just want my mom to pick me up. And she's just like, remember me? I'm sexy. Look at my underpants. He's just like, but mommy, pick me up. And he's like, he's actually a child in the memory, you know, or, or the... <laughs> Such a weird scene too, the way they did the, you know, the forced perspective and he's wearing that and he's just small and, and yeah. it's because like he's supposed to be a kid and she's trying to turn him on as an adult. Like, yeah. you know, there's something weird about that and awful about that. But I mean, 
it's just so twisted and hilarious. It's, it is, yeah. And it's awesome. Like, cause, but even like the scene where it's, uh, what is it? The shame memory where he's, um, he kills the bird or whatever from peer oh, pressure. Yeah. And yeah. she ends up being one of the friends and, you know, and, but she disappears and his bike's there and he gets angry and he like takes the bike and rad, rides away. But yeah. he's still in like his like eight year old self body, yeah. you know, yeah. it's so, so perfect and, you know, so sad, but so like yeah. correct at the same time, you know, it's just, it's this whole, it's a whole thing. And, and like how they conveyed the, his mentality in the memory while keeping him the same person was yes. also yes yeah it was a whole other thing yeah yeah it was just so well done and mm -hmm. can we just talk about jim carrey too i mean i was just doing a little googling because i couldn't remember where this fell in his whole library but i mean obviously jim carrey became famous for those really stretchy faced comedies like ace ventura and the mask where he's yeah super over the top and mm -hmm. super manic and super energy and everything. And he was so believable in this movie where he's just the least animated character. You know, mm -hmm. he's, the, he's the least, like Mark Ruffalo was more energetic than him. Than him, yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, he's just, it's such a restrained performance, but I just really believed him and it didn't look like he was pretending. Like I just, and I found him very likable and attractive in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he does such a good job. And I've, I've realized in, in recent years, I find comedians in comedic roles are sometimes so much better than getting like a serious actor in a role like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You mean a comedic, a serious role? Yes. Um, because even if I think about like um, another movie I love, like Stranger Than Fiction, that has Will Ferrell, and that was like his serious role, right. and he was just amazing in it. And I know it's not as point. Well, it is quite poignant actually, but it's not as serious as this movie is. But I just found his very restrained, very nice person that he created was perfect. Like the scene where he brings flowers to Maggie Gyllenhaal. And I was just like, that is just so nice. <laughs> like, oh, it's just, it's, I, I it's ridiculous, you know? You really should watch it if you haven't seen Stranger Than Fiction. I, I should it's, watch it. It's quite amazing. Um, yeah. And like, but, and the movie's also filled with a bunch of other comedians as well. Like, um, uh, what's the guy from... He was in Arrested Development. He's in it as well. Um, he played um, the stupid brother. Oh, my God. Tobias? That guy? No. No, not no, Tobias. He played, um, oh, he, he's the guy with the Buster. deep voice? No, he no, played Buster. Buster. Tony? Tony something? He's in Veep? Yeah, Tony Mahale? Tony Hale. It's just Hale. Tony Hale, yes, right. Yes. Uh, he's in it as well. He doesn't play like a big character or anything, but even he's relatively restrained and quiet and he does such a really good job in there. Then you have like Dustin Hoffman's in it. And um, I know Dustin Hoffman's always been a relatively serious actor, but he's always sort of funny in everything he does. Yeah. But he does his part really well in it too. And I don't know, there's something about the structure of that movie as well that you're just like, it's hard to explain but you really like it. Um, I'm just looking it up. Mm -hmm. I feel like I probably did watch this movie because it's a movie that I would have wanted to see, but I don't remember a thing about it. Yeah, so I love I, it. I don't remember. I'm going to watch it though. I'll find it. Yeah, I do recommend. 
Um, but yeah, I find, I find comedians in serious roles are just, they just seem to do it better somehow. Yeah. That's funny. Like, I mean, even Whoopi Goldberg in The Color Purple. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's like this ribald comedian and then she was playing this very subdued. I think, I think comedians understand emotion better. That's why they can make you laugh. Right. And so when they have to go the opposite way, they're like, sure, I get what emotions are. Boom. You know, and they just, they pull it out there and they put it out and you're like, there it is. And it it works. It really, really works. Yeah. And on the opposite scale, like I never would have thought of Kate Winslet as a comedic actress because she became famous for, you Titanic, know, really. Well, Titanic, but also, and before that, like Heavenly Creatures and Sense and Sensibility, like a bunch oh, of yes, yeah. period pieces where mm-hmm. she was, really, you know, repressed Brit kind of thing. Yeah. And then, you know, Titanic, she showed more energy, but still, she was, she was not the live wire in that movie. She mm-hmm. was still relatively buttoned up. So it's kind of an interesting choice for her to be in this movie where she's this wild creature kind of person but she really pulls it off too like she's very believable and fun and i think everybody was like perfect for their roles like elijah wood i have a very soft spot in my heart for him (laughs) but he plays like the creepy weirdo so well you're just like dude (laughs) and that weird over earnest kind of fixation i just thought yeah also kirsten dunst was so good in this as well like when she When she first shows up and she's like a receptionist and just saying receptionist things, like, mm. I thought that's really cute, but it's weird that she's playing a receptionist. But, like, her role is so funny and interesting. Like, like she's sort of bitchy to Elijah Wood, that like, mm. she's kind of mean girling to him, like, doesn't pour him a drink because he didn't want any, did he? right, Patrick? And just yeah. sort of very dismissive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then throwing herself at the boss. Like, it was a very funny role for her. Mm. And Mark Ruffalo, I forgot that he was in it. Like, this yeah. young... Mark Ruffalo partying in his underwear. I thought mm. that was so funny. I honestly think this is the first movie that I can be like, like his earliest movie that I can be like, oh no, Mark Ruffalo's in it. Like this is where like I learned his name. Right. Um, and then everything came after that. But yeah, no, the first time I saw this movie, I was just like, that guy's great. What's up with his hair? That I was know. my whole thing. <laughs> I feel like maybe, what was the first thing I remember him in? I really remember him in 13 going on 30. Yeah, I never, I have never seen that movie. What? <laughs> I know. Oh my god, you have to watch that movie. I will watch um, Stranger Than Fiction, and you should watch Thirteen Going on Thirty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will add it to my list. That just keeps getting longer. Yes. <laughs> uh. Anyway, that was a great movie, and actually, I want to watch it again. Like, I actually, I'm not talking about Thirteen Going on Thirty anymore. I'm talking about um. Uh, I kind of want to watch it again with Tommy because he didn't watch it with me and Mm -hmm. I would love to see his reaction because he hasn't seen it since it came out in like, what year was it out? Uh, 2004. 2004, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a while. Yeah, it's been a while and and the thing is too is like the movie has aged so well because they use mainly practical effects and they use lo-fi things to just portray everything instead of just trying to cg stuff in the background and whatever um like and so that so it just works so it's it's tactile almost you know what i mean totally and also the fact that and michelle gondry that's the name of the director i remember i became a fan of him in general mm-hmm. and his next movie the science of sleep was also pretty good and he made a bunch of music videos like a ton of videos like a lot of bjork videos he directed yeah 
and they are also very tactile, like human behavior and like very, like the special effects, the creatures are all very paper mache or very, you can see what they're made I love of. that human, human behavior um, yeah. video. That video is amazing. It's amazing. It's the same director. Like he's just got such a good eye and a good sensibility. But I feel like the other decision he made, like the office looked very generic 70s kind of dentist office, right? Like for a yeah. high tech company that's erasing your brain. I love that it was like the super cheap office that had, you know, a really crappy looking uh, reception area and everything. And, and the, the vehicles that they used to ship everything was like this really crappy van. Like mm -hmm. the fact that it already looked kind of old makes it so timeless because I mean, those spaces still kind of exist. Like they didn't do anything that would time stamp it with what was current. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like an iPhone or nobody had, I guess they didn't have them then, but it just, it was already out of time when it was came out. Mm -hmm. So it still looks fresh in its own way because it's so distinct. Exactly. Like I, think this, yeah. I think this movie could come out today, new, exactly the way it is, and still look good. Like yeah, it people, look people would think it's a new movie, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And they sure. would accept it because it's still genius and brilliant and it still matters for today. Okay. I just, I just have to... Okay, so I am looking through this guy's filmography and I am, did not realize how familiar I am with his work. <laughs> because some of the videos that he did are just like, what? You did those videos? No wonder I love this movie as well exactly. as all of your videos. They're, they're classics. Yeah, like because he did um, Lenny Kravitz Believe, Bjork yep. Human Behavior. We've already talked about that one. That's the um, Tons of Bjork. He did a ton of Bjork. Tons of Bjork. He also did, um, let's see, what was the other one I was looking at? Uh, the Cheryl Crow. Um, uh, change would do you good you know it's the one that's like that like revolves and all that kind of stuff oh that, yeah 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 yeah. that yeah. video is awesome um he did everlong by the foo fighters yep, yep. he's done another one by Sadust, the y clef version he um, also did come into my world by kylie minogue where she keeps uh, walking around, around. Neighborhood, and then there's a there's two kylie's and there's three kylie's and there's four kylie's and yeah and that's a great video workers and it's a it's a, it's it's technically Impossibly brilliant. Yeah. Uh, he did um, Around the World, the Daft Punk video. Yeah. Uh, I love that video so much. It's ridiculous. And I'm just like oh. going through this from opera. I'm like, no wonder I know all of your stuff. Like, I've seen yeah. all of these things. Like, it's because crazy. he's kind of a genius. Oh, also, I don't know if you've ever seen this video. It's called Sugar Water by this Japanese band called Sibomato. Okay. You have to watch it. It is probably my favorite video of all time. Like it's like a palindrome or something. It's just mm -hmm. like they filmed everything practically, but they did it in such a way that he could do a split screen. Okay. So that the action that they do at this time, when they do it back, when they do it backwards, it links up. Oh, that does on, sound interesting. On two sides of the screen kind of thing. Okay. I, I don't know if I'm describing it well or properly because it's been a long time since I watched it. But I actually bought a DVD. It was like this, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like Masters of the Videos or something. It had all these sort of pioneering videos. And there was like a Michelle Gondry one. And I bought it. And it was like it had all of his cool videos, like all mm -hmm. of the things that he did. Sir, um, what, was, what was that one called again? It's called Sugar Water. And the band is called Sibo Matto. It's spelled C-I-B-O-M-A-T-T-O as a second word. 
All right. Well, I've got it all set up. So as soon as I'm off of this, going to be listening to it. You've got to watch it. And then tell yeah. me what you think, because it's, it's, and watch it a couple times just to appreciate what's the what time, like yeah. the timing of everything to be able to make that video. Okay. It's yeah, incredible. because yeah, I'm I'm not surprised if my mind's gonna be blown by it because all of the videos I have said so far and keep going through his video list, which is I've 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 told you like five of his videos out of his eight hundred. I know. Um, and like every one of these videos I've seen, and they're awesome. Oh, yeah. he directed the new Green Hornet movie from twenty eleven. Really? That doesn't seem like him at all. The Green Hornet movie that had um, oh Seth yeah, no, in no. It. and that was a bit of a failure. Yeah, they can't all be no. classic. They can't all. That's true. That's true. I'm not holding it against him. Trust me. <laughs> but like, watch all of his music videos. It's totally yeah. He did be kind, rewind. That make it's not a greatest movie, but all of the sequences where they sweet something make perfect yeah. sense. Like it's, I actually it's, really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, visually, it's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, sorry. <laughs> I got distracted because I just saw all of the things that I did. No, I'm I'm like, glad. Oh my I'm God. You're discovering it because I've always, like, I've always thought like he deserved a lot of credit for the movie because, I mean, he's the director, but he never got as much attention as Charlie Kaufman mm -hmm. wrote it. Write it. Yeah. And then there were so many Charlie Kaufman movies, you know, that he became a brand in itself about... You know, you know, crazy like adaptation movie. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah I think Gene, being John Malkovich too. Yeah. And, like that was also great. Like Charlie Kaufman movie was a known thing, but Michelle Gondry directed this and he didn't really get the attention, but I feel mm. like he deserved it. Since yeah, because yeah, the way he managed to, I cannot even imagine what the script for this movie looked like. Um, <laughs> because like just staring at some of those scenes, I can't think of how to describe yeah. what it looks like. So imagine him reading the script, interpreting it, yeah. And then working with people to try to interpret it in a way that looks seamless and beautiful the way it does. And not just convey the story, but the emotion and the relationship yeah. and the feelings, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, cause the story is so dense in a way it'd be easy to just try to pull it off technically, but the movie has so much heart in it. Like you can really mm -hmm. feel the emotions of the characters. You really can. I mean, like technically you can describe the movie as, um, a guy and a girl break up and they go to a company and choose to forget each other. Fine. But then but they you, hold on as the memories slip away. Yeah. But the thing is, is that you could have just gone A to B to C with that. And there's have like a plane. It goes forward, you know, they meet each other. They do some stuff. They get mad. They go to the place and then they go home. Like, and then they come back together, whatever. But yeah. The, the mix of the timelines and the mix of the memories and the mix of the secondary storyline and all that kind of stuff just, and, and how, and like you said, how they managed to actually convey the idea of forgetting, which not just with darkness, but just like loss of detail in a space and, yeah. or, or like sometimes it, it even came across sort of like he was having deja vu, you know? Yeah. Um, like it's just, and, and like you see them, like you have that in your head. Like sometimes you're trying to remember like, Hey, do you remember the time we went to this place and we saw this thing? You're like, do I? <laughs> I think so. You yeah. know, whereas yeah. like you see pieces of the place in your head, but you don't, see everything and like that's actually conveyed on the screen and you're just it's like, like i understand this or whatever yeah yeah 
Oh my so, god. Yeah. But I love it when like a filmmaker not doesn't make art for the sake of making art, but makes art for the sake of good storytelling. And that's what this movie does. Exactly. Because my my one of my biggest problems is like there's so many like artsy films. We're like, no, no, my film is a, a work of art and you must interpret everything. And I'm like, but the whole point of movie making is to tell a story. And if nobody yeah. knows what your story is, then you're yeah. not using your medium correctly. Whereas I think a movie like this, you're like, oh no, this is clearly art, but there's yes. clearly a story. Also a story. And yeah. Something is being conveyed here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And even like little throwaway lines I thought were funny. Like I wrote down like, when he goes, is there, like, will this procedure give me brain damage? And the guy goes, well, technically the procedure is brain damage. Yeah. <laughs> on a par with heavy drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ooh. So then can he just go home and drink real a lot? Like, can we just leave it that way? <laughs> or um, one thing I really enjoyed was the part where um, they went back to his apart, like, she shows up at his apartment at the end and he's, she's like, do you want a drink? And she's like, yeah, do you have any scotch? And he pulls up the bottle and it's like, oh, yeah, I was and I was just like, oh my God, call back to the night before and they're drinking all Yeah, because he doesn't know why there's not a lot there. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I could have sworn I had more. It fits together um, so well. It yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I sat there, like I have what, like, eight lines of notes because I just got distracted by the overall. I know. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to take my time to write something while this is going on. Cause I need. I was the same. Like I was trying to, I, it was more like afterwards I was kind of Googling just to kind of place where people were in their careers when this movie came out mm -hmm. and refresh my memory. But like, yeah, the movie is just so, it's just, it's so rich with things. You don't want to really look away or stop paying attention. Attention to it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one one thing I do want to break uh, bring up though is is the idea like in film where people are carefree, and one of the things that really frustrates me, especially in movies like like this one, or um, you know uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's or uh, Happy Go Lucky and stuff like that, where people are considered to be like they're whimsical and they're carefree, but I'm like I look at the characters, I'm like no, you're you're careless and mean. And, you know, because you're carefree, you, you're reckless with people's emotions, their property and your attitude towards them and not thinking about any kind of consequence. But to me, that's not an appealing thing. So like, I don't understand why this kind of portrayal of carefree is so, you know, obsessed over in, in like manic pixie girls. Like, I just don't get it. Yeah, no, I, I know. I mean, it's because they're meant to be breaking from the constraints of the humdrum rules of life and they're mm. sort of aspirational because they seem to get away with things and they're that much freer than the rest of us that play by the rules even though you know but I, I do think that in this movie um, she appears kind of carefree but she's also shown to be quite tormented in her own mind and she's you know insecure about herself and like that speech that I mentioned earlier like she says I'm just trying to find some peace of mind like she mm -hmm. says straight up that she's not really that carefree mm -hmm. she's all like she's not there to be this carefree girl that's going to help him help his life be better like she's trying to save herself too mm -hmm. so i think that's her it's her way of coping like you know it's true like she has no regard for the house like she's fine to break in like 
you know, but I don't think it's glorifying that in a, in a way. Like, it is romanticizing her in a way, but I think we're also meant to see that she's not a good person in every respect. Yeah, self- like, I mean, like, there's the part with, like, the car, you know, and yeah. her just snapping at him all the time yeah. and, and all that kind That's of stuff. True. Like, I just found it, you know, very But off-putting. he calls her on it. He calls her on it, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do think that the whole carefree girl is like, like, I, I think other movies do that too, but make her kind of on a pedestal where everything she touches is great. But I feel like this movie shows the darker side of it quite well. Mm-hmm. Right? Shows that when he can't remember how charming she was, he's really pissed off that she wrecked his car. Well, yeah, I would be. So it's kind of, and like, you know, not to talk too much about Breakfast at Tiffany's either, but like, you know, she's very tormented. Like that movie is pretty dark. Like she's a hooker and she's not very happy and she befriends the other guy and she does a lot of selfish things, but she's pretty miserable. Yeah, but that's not, but that's the thing. That's not what people take from that movie. People are just like, oh, it's Audrey Hepburn and she's so pretty and her, her life is like this and she, you know, she has parties and she has nice dresses and she does things you really and are in love with her and all this kind of stuff. And you're just like, I know, Why? but I don't, think, I don't think you're necessarily meant to feel all just that mm-hmm. because you know, it's, it's kind of a darkish movie given its reputation. Yes. It, it was a lot darker than I expected, but I also absolutely hated the character. Um, highly go lightly. That's her yeah. name, right? I hated Holly her character, Holly Golightly. Um, I hated her character, and I was just like, I don't understand why that author is in love with her. I don't, I don't understand who who cares about this person. Like, why haven't you dropped her like a, a rock in a pond? Like, walk away. <laughs> so I was all, I was very confused about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't Yeah, and then there was that movie um, a, a while back uh, called uh, Happy Go Lucky. The Happy Go Lucky. There is a movie called that. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it. I think it's Happy Go Lucky. If I'm thinking of the right movie, and the actress in this movie, I full on hate her. Let me look it up. Like I, um, oh yeah, it is. It's it's Sally Hawkins. She's she's the the star. Oh of the yeah, movie. she's funny. Happy. She's funny. Sally Hawkins is. Funny. I hate her character in this movie with a passion. I hate her character in this movie. And the thing is, every time I see her in anything now, I know it's not her fault, but I see her in anything now, and I'm just like, I can't look at this. I don't like you. Please get off my screen. <laughs> so, so either she did her role amazingly well that I can't forget it, or she just did herself a disservice. And it hasn't ruined her career. She's, she's doing lots of work and, and everything. Yeah. That's but, funny. I don't think yeah. I've seen this. It's like, um, it's a Mike Lee movie. He's usually doing very depressing movies. Like Mike Lee movies are usually really serious. So this is a comedy. It's- yeah, it's not, it's not particularly serious. There are, um, you know, like those, those like uh, quiet moments in it and stuff. Uh, there's a couple of very like high tension moments where like this guy just starts like screaming and all this kind of stuff. But honestly, I understood him over her. And I was just like, yeah, you should be yelling at her. Sorry. That was huh. it. So. <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't seen it. Because like Mike Lee directed movies like, did you see Secrets and Lies? No. Um, I, I was just it? looking at his stuff. Like, and... Secrets and Lies is one of my favorite movies. You should really watch it. It's, it's, a, it's a drama. It's, it's very good. It made me cry. And I rarely cry in movies. 
No, I definitely. And Vera Drake is about like the woman who's, who's doing illegal abortions. It's very serious as well. Mm -hmm. And Naked is about this kind of. It's a it's a black comedy more, but. Like his stuff is pretty dark. Um, yeah, so, I have not seen anything else he's he's directed. Oh, no. Well, it's, from the sounds of it, Happy Go Lucky seems like quite a outlier, or it's different than the ones he's most famous for. Yeah, I mean it's it's a relatively light movie. I just hate the main character. <laughs> I get it. Um, I, do, I keep saying it. I keep saying it. I know. <laughs> I'm just not saying it, but I do. <laughs> Um, and like the script was nominated for like an Oscar or whatever um, for original script um, the year it came out, and I was just like, "But why?" Yeah, it was the whole thing. Well, he's got a reputation. Like he's been nominated for lots of awards. If he's, I feel like he's won some Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, okay, shall we move yeah. on to Fantastic Mr. Fox? Oh my God! Yes. Okay. So okay, so. Surprisingly, this is the first Wes Anderson movie I've done so far on this podcast. Uh, trust me, it's not going to be the last one because I have a lot of Wes Anderson uh, because I thoroughly enjoy his aesthetic and his storytelling style. Um, and I kind of like that I'm starting on an animated one because it brings out so much of just the whimsy of his style of storytelling yeah, because it's so specific and yeah. everything has to be accounted for immediately yeah. that it just, and it just really works. It just it really, like, really works. I too am a massive fan of Wes Anderson. Like I just think his movies are quirky. They're unique. They're mm -hmm. charming as all hell. And yeah, his aesthetic, like all of his movies share that very specific, kind of aesthetic where everything is completely perfect and whimsical and beautiful and he frames everything just so and mm -hmm. you know holds on a lot of um specific shots and i did i also thought it's interesting because like when he does his live action movies is mostly you know normal live action movies they're so art directed and so perfectly designed that for him to do an animated movie it's perfect because he, he has to create the entire world from scratch so he can yeah. literally control every single every single piece of the image, which he can in a live action anyway, but this is, he can create it from scratch, like even if mm -hmm. it's impossible. And exactly. when you start watching it, it's so gorgeous. Like it's such a beautiful fall day and the fox is on a hill and he does this little, like it's, it's a gorgeous film. And then when I'm watching it though, I, I was surprised like so much of the movie takes place in holes and underground. It, it, is, it actually isn't quite as gorgeous as I thought it could be. Mm -hmm. It looks great, but I mean, you know, because of the story, it, it, it doesn't lend itself to as many beauty shots as you might think. Really? I actually thought the opposite. I was surprised at how beautiful he can make a whole look. Like, that, no. that was my thought while I was watching it. I'm like, oh, it's dirt behind them, and now they're going to cross into a mineral deposit, and it's... Yes, well, the mineral deposit... You're just wonders. like, oh, my God. Or well, even... Right. He did make beautiful, like when they're in the, when they're trapped in that boiler room and then uh, the fox, the, the, the scene in front of the waterfall. Oh yeah, that was gorgeous too, yeah. Gorgeous. But a lot of it was in the dirt. Like, I mean, when, he, when I think about some of his other movies, like Royal Tenenbaums or, you know, Moonrise mm -hmm. Dem or whatever, like, I, I feel like all the shots are beautiful. A Budapest Hotel, like everything is mm -hmm. gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and this one, it was, I felt a little less so because there were so many dirts. Scenes, but. Well, I also think it's because it's 
so this movie has a very specific color palette, whereas other movies are, they do have specific color, but they're more richer colors. Yeah. So like in other movies, it's like, it's green, it's red, it's blue. It's, it's just all these things. Whereas this one, it's like, it's all fall color. So it's like, it's brown, it's orange. Yeah. It's uh, very, very little greens and blues and brighter colors to like make it pop, right? Um, but to me, that didn't really deter from the look of it. It didn't really make me, you know, not like it. Um, I also liked it. I still liked it. I just, it just you know, it, I, I really still appreciate it. I just didn't think it was as beautiful as I... As usual? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I liked all, I, I loved the character designs. I loved um, yeah. uh, everything about it. Um, as one of my favorite things is the stupid rat. Um, <laughs> no, the, the, the snapping. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about like Willem Dafoe voices him perfect. Totally. You know, my my favorite line he says in the whole movie is "No, nah. I I don't know <laughs> what it is because he's like because I think um, the fox asks him, um, "Would you have told me if I didn't kill you first? And he just says "Never," nah. and it's just the way he says it is just so perfect yeah so poignant and he's about to die and you're just like oh my god this is so right the way it is um i just find it i I don't know there's something there's something very great about it but i I loved the movie don't get me wrong like i mean it was a pleasure watching this movie too like i i love all wes anderson movies and i had i think i'd only seen this one once when it came out so it was a pleasure to watch again like it was just like one thing I do love about all of his movies is the dialogue is so um, deadpan. Like the characters yes. all talk in a very deadpan style, mm-hmm. and it's just so funny. All the different asides, and I love that like the the heist sort of plot and the fox's plot against the three mean businessmen and everything. But then mm-hmm. his son Ash and his little sort of teen movie drama with Christopherson. Christopherson yeah, it's just <laughs> perfectly calibrated as well. Like it. Yeah. it 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 serves the greater story, but it also is a fun little story on its own. And I just, mm. I love the way that close up to the face, the fur ruffling and their expressions. Yeah, it's just perfect. Yeah. Have you read Roald Dahl, uh, Dahl's Roald books? Dahl? Uh, yeah, I used to read them all, but it's been a long time. I mm. used to love them as a kid. I, I, have, I, I have to say, I have never read a single Roald Dahl book. And I really feel like I should change that. Even as an adult, I think I would enjoy the books. You probably would. I mean, I haven't read them as an adult, I don't think. But as a as a kid, they're a lot darker than a lot of books. Mm-hmm. And um, like the children are usually abused by their caretakers, and then they seek out some sort of fantastic world to escape. This mm-hmm. one is not as much that because it's more about an adult fox as opposed to like Small Matilda, a young girl, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or James mm-hmm. and Giant Thief. So those are all kids that are through fantastic means trying to escape their circumstances. Mm-hmm. So this one is a little different. Um, but yeah, they're good books. You should read them. I mean, I feel like they would hold up. Yeah, because uh, so on the DVD that I watched, they had like a couple of, of vignettes. And usually I don't watch them, but for this one, I was like, I have to watch them. Um, and they were talking about a, the writing of the script was one of them, and then B, was the animation. And so the writing of the script, so they were talking about the book, and apparently the the crux of the book is maybe like half an hour of the film. 
and they've just built stuff on either end of it. Um, oh. So like, like where they start, where she finds that she's pregnant and they're trapped. Like that's completely new, for example. Um, and, but like him and, and the, the heist, that's part of it. But then, you know, the part at the end is added on. Oh. And I found that really interesting that they managed to, to integrate all of it so well. But I, 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 I need to read the book to see how much they actually change. Because of course they've added in more characters and all yes. that kind of stuff to flush out the story. I wonder if that whole, the finale is very action movie. I, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that's not in the original book. I mean, he didn't write action movie scenes. So like Ash flipping and evading all the bullets and then sticking a rabid dog on the bad guys. I'm not sure if that would have been in the book. Hot box. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I loved, I, I love all the, like, I love Jason Schwartzman. I think he's I a love really, Jason Schwartzman, yeah. I, I love his voice. I love the way he, like, I love the way he did that character. And I loved Christopherson. The mm -hmm. sort of, the, the, like, I love that he's like this, you know, he's portrayed as like the perfect kid. He's a great, he's a natural athlete. The girls love him. Like, he's a popular, good looking mm -hmm. fox. But they didn't go with like some super macho voice. They went with a really earnest, sweet voice. But yeah. It really and that's um, that's actually Eric Anderson, which is Wes Anderson's brother. If I'm yeah, and not he's been mistaken. in all of his movies. But I thought he was a cute choice for that character. Mm -hmm. Like I, I loved the little, and I loved that in this movie, the characters would occasionally look towards the camera, sort of to look at the audience for like when um, when Christopherson's in the cage, and then Ash says. Um, I'm here to save you. And Christopherson's like, oh, I have mixed feelings about that. And then Ash says, I understand, <laughs> I understand. And he goes, so, um, well, maybe you can give me a quick lesson on karate right now. And then Christopherson just sort of slowly looks towards the camera. camera. <laughs> <laughs> and then it happens again when Ash is like driving away and then um, the Fox, Fantastic Mr. Fox says something to him in a touching way or whatever. And then, Ash just looks towards the camera. It's just yeah. so sweet, you know I mean? I just, I kind of loved mm. that breaking the fourth wall a little. A little bit, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't so abrupt that you get like pulled out of the story. No. It was just like, it's a quick little look, like a little nod to the audience, like, yeah, you know, but it's not like Deadpool style. It's like, hey, I'm looking at you, by the no, way. Yeah. You know, we're doing something. Like it, yeah. it wasn't so like abrupt. It was and subtle and it was more emotional than anything. It was, and it was always at like those, kind of like pivotal scenes that yeah. were happening. It's just like, are you paying attention? Something cool yeah. is about to happen, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really just, and it's true, like Jason Swartzman to me, like ever since I saw him in Rushmore, yeah, that's I've, such a I've watched almost everything he's been in, I'm pretty sure, including the TV show Bored to Death. Which, Bored to Death. Which I loved and was, it was so underrated. I'm so sad about that show. I totally love that. I, Ted Danson was hilarious in that show. Yeah, and um, Zach Galifianakis was just, he was yeah. relatively toned down, surprisingly, in it, but yeah. still, the, still the most outlandish character in the show, which I thought was odd. Um, it's such a good show, like a hipster Brooklyn detective-y show. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's also like I've tried to describe it to people to sell to them, and they're just like, that sounds horrible. I'm like, what are you talking about? It sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but the show had me like, oh, it's Jason Swartman. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. Like, that was yeah. it. Like, I didn't, need, I didn't need to be sold on it. Um, but even, like, uh, Wes Anderson did um, a couple of, like a, sh like, a short 
with him where he's like a race car driver in like Italy or something. Really? And um, yeah, it was so good. A lot of people didn't see it. Um, oh, I didn't know about it. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. I think it's this one. Yeah, it's called Castello Cavacanti. I don't know. It's Italy, September 1955. A Formula One driver crashes his car during a race, leaving him stuck in a small village, but good surprises will come his way. Yeah, hmm. it's, it's great. I really like it. I will look for it. And, uh, like it's, and it's not even long. It's just, it's like, it's like is 12 it, is minutes. Is it the one Prada presents? It is, yeah. It's one of those ones. That's funny. Yeah, it's eight minutes long, but it's great. But even when I first saw it, too, I was like, what is this? Is this? I thought it was like a long trailer for one of his movies. And, like, and it comes up, Prada Presents at the end. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but I was still like, I still, I still like it. It's still great. Yeah. Um, yeah, because he, he did the candy one. And yeah, Come Together, Refashion, Motion Victory. That's the one, That's that right. was the one for H&M. Oh. The Come Together one. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the French Dispatch. Me too. Yes. Literally, I've loved all the films. Like they're sort of event films for me. Like I'm so excited mm-hmm. when one comes out because they're not that often. No, they're not, and I I think they're worth the wait because he actually yeah. takes the time to make the films. Yeah. Whereas like I find like there's a lot of like directors and writers out there where they make one movie and then there's a big thing so then like studios are just like no you have to have one out every single year and then everything gets worse and worse and worse because they don't have time to like craft what they're actually doing whereas he clearly has been allowed or told people no i'm going to take my time to do this so i do it right every single time and it 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 shows it it really does does show it really does Um, i feel like they're all very distinct and they're just they're just so entertaining. I mean, you do have to appreciate his style, like his deadpan kind of style. style yes. But I mean, yeah. I really do. And like, I mean, at the French Dispatch, I think is in Paris and it's like my favorite city. So it's basically the perfect thing for me. For you, yeah. One thing though, like his first movie, Bottle Rocket, I don't know if I've ever watched that whole movie. Oh, really? Um, because it bores me to tears, and I literally fall asleep every time I sit to watch That's it. That's funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very, yeah, I don't know. I, I watched the whole thing. I mean, it's definitely probably his worst movie, because it's just getting started. But, I mean, Owen Wilson is so funny in it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I like him as an actor, because he's got such a different energy and such a different delivery that I he find does, it. Yeah. I enjoy watching him. So, I mean, that's enough to get me through, but I... Mm-hmm. I agree. It's not his strongest work. I think. Yeah. I think my favorite one is the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, mine's Life Aquatic. That's sure. also good. yes. That's good. Um, ever since I saw it, everything about that movie has made me love it. From the the claymation in it to the interactions, you know, Bill Murray's character is just such an ass, but you can't help but like him. It's true. But you also like like understand where he's coming from, you know. Um, I don't know. I just, I just, I just love that movie. Everything about it works for me. Um, um did you see the Darjeeling Limited? I did. So, um, that's not one I, of my favorites. No, it's but, too, it's too literal. It, it annoys me. Yeah. But I loved their luggage, you know, that had all the animals stamped on it and mm-hmm. numbered. It's just such iconic luggage. 
and um, this company decided to make a reproduction of it. So mm -hmm. I bought it. So now I own one of the leather duffel bag that is in the style of the Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. The, can you uh, can you please tell the audience how long you waited for this bag? <laughs> I can't remember now. <laughs> I, I remember you talking about this bag for a good year or so before you got it, and then you got it. And you're just like it's here, and it was like an epic event. <laughs> it's true. Though. It was such a big event. Yeah, you in, you invited us invited us over to show us this bag. <laughs> It was a thing of beauty, though. You have to admit it was a thing. It's of beauty. a very nice bag, yes. But the, despite how pretty the bags are in the movie, the bags are the thing that annoys me the most about the movie. Why? The bags belong to his father, and the whole movie was a having luggage, like like emotional oh, baggage luggage, yeah. baggage from your your father. And I'm like, oh, so they're carrying on their father's luggage? Gotcha. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. What the yeah. hell? Like, dude. Um, it was very on the nose. It was very on the nose. Um, but every other movie, I have thoroughly, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed. Um, like there's parts of Darjeeling. Like I'm sorry, the whole the whole thing with um, Jason Schwartzman having the affair with the woman on the train, who's then the woman on the train is like married to the conductor, and the conductor kicks them off. That whole thing is amazing. Like that whole sequence is awesome. Yeah. Um, I actually think the thing I hate the most about it is Adrian Brody. His character just, it just didn't seem to fit in the world. I, I agree. I didn't love his character. I didn't really love that movie. I, I mostly mm -hmm. love the luggage. Yeah. Just, just, <laughs> That's all you were looking for. You're like, but, well, okay. Back to the Royal Ten Moms just for a second. Mm -hmm. Don't you think it's probably Ben Stiller's best role? <laughs> Um, I also think it's uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's best role. It's fine. Definitely Gwyneth Paltrow's best role. I mean... I, I always forget that that is Gwyneth Paltrow. She's so good in it. Yeah. It's just so... And, like, the way they're all introduced in their own little sections and just the music and their mm -hmm. intertwining story. Like, it's such a good movie. It really is, yeah. Ugh, I love it. I love it. The so much. Yeah. No, it's, it's no, definitely... But yeah. to go with and, the back to the fox. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, I, I also realized, so I was, when I was watching the movie, I was trying to categorize the type of music that's in it because I like how light and relatively whimsical and folksy it is. But one thing I realized is that this is actually a period piece because the book was written in the 70s, um, 1979. And then you listen to the music, which includes, what, the Rolling Stones, I believe. I think this is just music from that time period or music that sounds like it's from that time period. And then yeah. if you actually, like, watch the clothing they're wearing and you watch the vehicles and, and the technology they have, I'm like, oh, oh, this just takes place in the 70s. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know why that has never triggered in my brain before. I've never thought of that either. Cause I just think of it as kind of timeless, but you're right. Like I, my only note about music was just soundtrack was amazing because I remember every time there's a song, which is like, Oh my God, it's such a great song. It's so perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of a trademark of Wes Anderson movies in general. Like his mm -hmm. soundtracks, his soundtrack choices are always amazing, but that's interesting. I, I never really went into when all the songs were from. So. Yeah, because I mean, what, what's in there? There's the Beach Boys. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of stuff written by a guy named Alexander de Platz. 
And who else is in here? What's the other stuff? Why is it just his stuff? I know there's other stuff in here. Oh, here it is. Okay. Bert, I so, know. There's a Davy Crockett song that's by George Burns. Right. There's Street Fighting Man by Rolling Stones. There's the Beach yeah. Boys. And Jarvis Cocker wrote yeah. a song for it. Oh, I liked I liked PD's song. PD's song. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. I love the way it ends with that horrible guy coming out and saying, "You've wrote a bad song." <laughs> just so specifically mean. Yeah. I, what I think? What did he say? He said that was like um, that's just bad songwriting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I love it. Uh, yeah. I love like. And that's why I like was trying to make a note about the music because I'm like, I love the soundtrack for this so much, but it's also not the music I would typically want to listen to either. No, and I don't know that I would listen to it outside of this movie. It just suits mm. it so well. So well, yeah. So within it, like it, it gives you this like nice little jolt. Like it, it just makes yeah. you kind of happy. And yeah, and I was just like, I, how do you even categorize this kind of music? Do you need to? Very jaunty, nostalgic, kind of upbeat. Yeah, yeah. And um, how did you feel about Meryl Streep? I loved her. As, I loved her as uh, Mrs. Fox, for sure. Yeah, she's just got such presence, even though her role isn't huge, but mm. she just, it's just such, like, she just does such good work. Yeah, the I'm going to lose my temper now part. Oh, yes. Oh, my her. God. It's <laughs> so good. <laughs> And of course, George Clooney was perfectly cast. Like, he's he just so suave, right? Like, that mm -hmm. is George Clooney. So I loved that it's him playing with his persona in a way. Yeah. But one thing, um, so so like I was saying at the beginning, is, is I'm picking up different things from these movies as I get older. And one of the things, so one of the things I, I liked about this movie when it first came out is just like the beautiful animation and the music and it's a whimsical story and all this kind of stuff. But... And, like, I understood this movie was, like, about growth and, like, a relationship between a father and son. I understood that part. But the thing that got me this time was, you know, how I realized, like, this is actually just Mr. Fox having a midlife crisis. Yeah. Getting people into trouble and realizing, you know, this is the life I chose and I should actually just be thankful for what I have compared to wanting all of this stuff and just ruining things for more people. And I'm like, this is like a, a perfect thing for, I think people my age where you're at a point and you look at your life and you're just like, I want to be like I was 20 years ago or whatever. How yeah. did I give up all this stuff? Let me, you know, let me do all these crazy things I used to do and then regret every minute of it. You know what like I mean? Like just recapturing his youth, essentially. Essentially. Yeah. And the other, the other thing about it that I thought was interesting is, like, he willfully ignores all the advice, right? Like, he wants this because he wants to feel less poor. Yeah. Right? Which he says, right? Mm -hmm. And then he, he deliberately moves into a house in a very dangerous zone for foxes opposite mm -hmm. people that want to kill foxes just so he can have a view. Like, it's yeah. very selfish. But I do get what he's doing because he just mm -hmm. wants to feel personally better. Like, it's, it's kind of a bit of toxic masculinity a little bit, right? Because a little bit, yeah. Like, his whole thing is, even though it's not good for his family, it's good for his ego. And mm. even though people tell him not to, he feels better if he ignores that advice. Because didn't he say something like he wants people to just be in awe of him a little bit? Or he feels yes. like nothing or something. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's all about him. And even though he, and he prioritizes that feeling over other people's welfare. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it was an interesting lesson. But, you know, I have to say, when I thought about that, at the end of the day, the lesson isn't amazing because he kind of does everything and then he sort of saves them a bit. Mm-hmm. And they make it like, you really are fantastic. Like, I guess his lesson is learned where he's willing to die to mm-hmm. make up for what he did. And so that's how you solve the problem. But I mean, ultimately, everything always sort of turns out okay for them. Well, I also think part of the story is, is that he, he, he has learned to be happy where he is, right? Because he's, now he's living in a place that doesn't have a view. Um, and he's it's also, they're actually it's, always starving, but. Yeah. Um, they, but they found a, a new food source, which is good. But yeah. also you realize that, you know, Mrs. Fox is pregnant again and he is also glowing compared to the first time where he was yes, freaking yes, out. Now glowing. he's like, he's like, oh no, I am happy for this. Like I'm, yeah. I'm happy for me to not have to do all of these things. I have food and I have a family and I have, you know, wonderful people around me and yeah. this is That's a good true. thing, right? And he finally you know, and accepts his son. I, I, I mean, now that I'm a parent, I kind of wanted even a bit more affirmation for his son. Like I mm-hmm. felt it was almost too subtle given all the indignities that Ash experiences, like being kind of rejected by his dad and passed over for his cousin and not really given. Do, do you actually that. think Ash was rejected by his father? No way. I mean, he kind of says, oh, you know, you're different. I get it. Like, he's constantly trying to live up to his dad, right? He's constantly mm-hmm. trying to be an athlete. He's constantly trying to. And it's not until the end where his dad sort of says, you know, um, I can't remember how it all gets, but he, sa- he says, I'm glad that we had you as a son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's sort of a nice way of, you know, being accepted by his dad. Yeah, but I think that is, I think... I think um, Ash needed affirmation from his dad, but I don't think uh, Mr. Fox like was putting him down in any way. I think no, but I, I think Mr. Fox was he was too busy trying to be fantastic himself. But that's he wasn't not paying attention. I'm not. I'm not saying that he was abusive to to mm. Ash like that. But I mean, he wasn't giving Ash what he clearly needed. Needed, yeah. No, he was ignoring him. Because Christopherson served his purposes, he was, you know, constantly praising Christopherson and involving Christopherson. And, you know, that's, he should have known as a sophisticated grown-up that that's going to hurt his son. Mm -hmm. But he just didn't care, right? He was just, he just basically, he just was very selfish. Like, for most of the movie, he's not parenting Ash really at all. No, he's not, no. So, like, from a parent's perspective, I feel like he's being a pretty crap dad. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he's not only not giving him any attention, but he's doing things deliberately that he knows will hurt his son. He's not doing them to hurt his son, but he's just doing them because they suit him, because Christopherson will help him. And he knows mm-hmm. that's going to upset Ash, but he just does not care. Yeah, I don't even think he knows. I think he, he full on was like, I'm being selfish. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't think he was even paying attention to his wife's feelings or Kylie's feelings or the Badger's feelings. No, he wasn't, but I think that's just bad. And I think he knows that he's being bad because when Ash wants to join him in that heist and he says, no, 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 he won't tell him, but then he's invited Ash to come. Sorry, Christopherson to come. Which is is not nice, yeah. 
and he knows that it's probably going to go back to Ash. Like, it's just, I just thought he was terrible. He's like a terrible dad. And I don't think he did enough to make up for it really at the end. And mm-hmm. the only other quibble I will have is like, Ash was constantly wanting to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. And they made a big deal of that, you know, you're different, you're different, you're different, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end, his big kind of, like his big tri- triumphant moment at the end is that he is an athlete because he does all these jumps and evades all the bullets and saves the tail and slips mm-hmm. through the, like he, it's not a triumphant ending because they appreciated him for who he was, but that he ends up being the athlete that he was hoping to be. Well, I actually got the opposite. Like I, I understand that was Ash's triumphant moment. But at the end, when Mr. Fox is making his speech and everybody's drinking apple juice and Ash is drinking grape juice and he's got grape juice all over his mouth and stuff, which I thought was a great detail because Ash needs to be different. Yes. And Ash needs to stick out and Ash needs to be weird. You know, he was like, I appreciate you for who you are. It's pretty much what he said in the speech to everybody that's there. And, And I think that reaffirms you know, uh, Mr. Fox's like acceptance for where he is and the people he's with. And he's actually seeing these people for the first time compared to before. Like you were saying, he was being selfish and only thinking of himself and not worrying about all that kind of other stuff. And that's why he can, you know, stand on that soapbox again and give a speech and saying, you guys are great. Everything is great. And now I'm glowing because I've got another person coming out that's going to yeah. need me and I'm ready for it this time. So, yeah. so, so to me, like, like for Ash, like I understand why he's upset and I understand why he was mad, but part of it was him putting an, it's sometimes that's, that's the problem with being the child of someone who is great or quote unquote fantastic is that even if people don't put the pressure on you, you put the pressure on yourself because you have to live up to that person but also that person needs to acknowledge who you are if you're yeah. whether you're as great as they are or not you just or just be acknowledged they have to be accepted too yes yeah and i think by the end of the movie ash is accepted yeah. i don't i don't think it's as you said i don't think it's a big enough gesture but it's there and it shows that he's yeah. changing and it shows that he really is accepting who he is yeah I did get it. I just wanted more. More, I wanted yeah. Him. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But I find Meryl Streep put out more to Ash than, yeah. than the Fox did. Um, well, so. no, Meryl Streep always was there for him. It was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know what? I mean, I, everything can't be wrapped up in a big bow. It's always, you know, something's going to be. I just, I do think, though, that the whole Ash flipping around and evading bullets... Is, was sort of the one scene that I thought was sort of out of character from the whole other movie. Mm-hmm. But I also think he's he did it because he's always well, he's believed he can do it. And yeah, he was... But I don't think he needed to. I don't think he needed to suddenly be as good as Christopherson at trying to do something physical like evading bullets. I feel yeah. like if he didn't do that, I think he still would have been able to have his father's love and acceptance and it might have even meant more because he didn't do that yes still got that acceptance Mm -hmm. but one thing i i liked though about the the scene right after that is even so 
when they're on their the moped or whatever leaving um and he turns around and he gives him his um bandit mask with like the stars yeah, on it stars that on means it, yeah. it's it's something that he had made for him before he even got there yeah which meant he was already seeing his son for who he was and that's why it had stars on it, it wasn't black like everybody else it's yeah. like you know like, it was it was crazy yeah and that's the moment where when he puts it on the nash turns and looks at the camera yes yeah. <laughs> and he's like oh my god a man. did you see it <laughs> <laughs> that was very sweet. Yeah. So I mean, I I, I loved. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do love this movie. But oh, I love it too. Yeah. I mean, I'm just nitpicking, but I love the movie. Like I, you, I, it feels it. It it's awash with lovely sentiment, and it's a beautiful movie to watch. Yeah, but it's it's just so much more. Every time I watch it, I, I get all the, the adult things out of it, not the kid stuff out of it anymore. So yeah. I guess I'm adulting now. Like, this is this is hurting my heart. I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm parenting. That's why I was looking at it from a parenting perspective. I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a lovely kind of marriage of sensibilities in a way, like Roald Dahl and Wes Anderson, because Roald Dahl's very surreal right like he is all his movies are very fantastical mm-hmm. so it, it does suit wes anderson because he's always like heightened realities mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's clear like you see you see it in this film that it's just so it works really well i'd be interested to see how like i when i watch this film too though it, it doesn't really strike me as a kid's film even though it's a cartoon because mm-hmm. it is like you say, it is sort of about a midlife crisis. Like the main plot is his personal arc. Whereas mm-hmm. a kid's film is, in a kid's film, like the Ash plot line would be the whole film. That is true, yes. I think as a kid though, you'd still find, you'd still enjoy it because they're cute foxes and animals. Yeah, there's good action. There's some comedy. It's colorful. Um, and the bad theme. guys are very funny, villainy kind of bad yeah. guys. You know, it's got a little song for you to sing throughout the whole movie. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. I wonder how, like, I think it's too, I don't think Maddie will necessarily have the patience to sit through it right now. There's a lot of dialogue. There's, There's a lot of dialogue. Like with any Wes Anderson movie, there is a lot of dialogue. Yeah, um, which is what I love about them. Like, I, I'm, I, I love his dialogue. Yeah. But it'd be interesting to see a kid that's age appropriate, how they react to something like this. Yeah, well, even this one and like Isle of Dog would be. Uh, Isle of Dog is a little is actually quite a bit darker. Never mind. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that one's a little a much darker. Um, I remember, but I do love that one as well. Before I wa- I remember turning it on and thinking, well, maybe Maddie will like this. She loves dogs, and that the first thing where they dump that dog in a cage and then no one unlocks him, he just dies in the cage. Yeah, like that's right at the beginning. I thought we can't watch this. <laughs> 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 yeah, that one is definitely less of a, a kids movie than even this one. Yeah. Um, but I, I think uh, his his eye for the creation of not just the story but the visual texture of the film is just it's so perfect. It just yeah. it just works so well, you know. Um, when is the French Dispatch coming out? Um, let's see, French. Dispatch. Now I'm hungry for another Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> it says 2021. So. Apparently January 28, 2021. Hmm. Well, that's a Slovakia. Let me slow. Hold on. 
I mean, the other thing is, who knows when anything's going to be released at all anymore because they keep postponing huge movies because the theaters aren't open. So we may mm-hmm. get this on streaming. Yeah, that's actually a pretty, that's pretty likely. Yeah. Like, I just read that Bond might go to streaming. Yeah. If I Bond do skips theaters, I think theaters are dead. Yeah, because Bond movies, like, despite the fact you can watch them on small films, because of the type of action and stuff in it, yeah. it needs to be on a bigger screen, right? Yeah. And theaters were counting on these big blockbusters, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman getting pushed back and Jurassic World's getting pushed back. And I think and they were all... Black kind of, Widow as well got pushed Black back Widow, like yeah. three times. Yeah. But if they, if they put Bond on streaming, like what do the theaters have left? I feel like they're going to just mm-hmm. go, I don't know. What's well, they were, they were banking on Tenant and technically Tenant made a lot of money, but it didn't make quote-unquote Christopher Nolan money, so they're upset about it. It didn't make enough money to justify the opening. Meh. It's fine. Um, But it just says USA 2021 Cannes Film Festival. So, yeah. But I do realize now that, I mean, whatever was reported before is out the window because things are changing on a daily basis. Again, yeah. I mean, I did go to the movies twice. Um, they were relatively empty, um, and everybody was very well spaced out. Um, because I told my friends, if we get there and it's packed, I am not going and I'm going to leave. I'm going to get my refund and walk away. Um, but yeah, no, they were, they were empty, um, and it was fine. But I also think during winter, people are going to get comfortable going, and there's going to be too many people, and I'm probably not going to see yeah. the movies. But there's not that many movies that are being released. So I've read that when Tenet was released and um, what was that X-Men movie that got released? Oh, um, the, uh, new the New Mutants, yeah. Um, so those two movies came out um, and a bunch of theaters reopened, but then business was not amazing week after week and then no new movies came out. So a lot of those theaters ended up reclosing, like waiting. Well, uh, well you just... The thing is, to keep them open, you have to give them things to watch. And, and they, they didn't do that. So no. how are we going to use your facility if you have nothing in your facility? Exactly. Um, and I don't, and like, you know, and they were counting on big movies like Bond. So if people are not going to be able to see Bond, like, they're not going to go see, like, I don't think theaters are going to have anything to show. Like, mm. And, I this think- a, and I think this is a self-fulfilling prophecy that where they're going. They're like, oh, you know, theaters are failing, so I'm not going to put my movie out, but they're failing because you didn't put any movies out. Exactly. So it's, it's very sad to see because I'm a huge movie fan, as you know, and I so love going fine. to theaters. And mm-hmm. I very much will be sad if theaters are not going to be around anymore. Yeah. <sighs> I, don't know. I don't know. Anyways. Well, um, any last thoughts about these two movies? Um, yeah, like I said, like, I just, I think that, like, they're both, you know, older movies now, but I thoroughly enjoyed revisiting them. I thought they both, in their own ways, defied time. Like, I didn't think either of them was dated. I think, for the reasons we mentioned when we were talking about it, like, Eternal Sunshine is just such a work of genius, and it's, and the practical effects and the fact that he didn't make anything contemporary at the time makes it just its own time zone like i don't think that it will ever age in a way so yeah. i feel like it's just as current as it now as it was and mm-hmm. fantastic mr fox it's just it's so beautiful and it's also just such a you know a fun story 
and the animation is beautiful and the acting is fun. And like you said, like, it's like, I guess it's like a period piece. Like it's very much kind of old timey feeling mm-hmm. even when it came out. So, I mean, it doesn't age. Well, I think both of these movies are really good movies to watch even now. Oh, I totally agree. Um, I really don't have anything to add to that because that was very succinct. But yeah, no, I, I like I said, I love watching both of these movies and um, I understand why they're in my collection and I will watch them more often now, for sure. Yeah, um, I'm totally going to watch Eternal Sunshine again. Like, I'm going to watch it again probably this month. I, I loved it so much. Like, I mm-hmm. think it's shot right up into my top five. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. Yeah, everything about it just, it just works. Yeah. And I just, yeah, like, like we keep saying, but like, it's just like the ingenuity of how he does some of the things within the film that just makes it, you know, fantastic to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of do love too that, like I found it very romantic and you found it sort of the opposite, but we both love the movie. I don't know. It's not even that I didn't find it romantic. I, I think I was it seemed more cynical than romantic to me, but there's definitely like the, the scenes of romance that are in there are very kind and they're very sweet and they Mm -hmm. come across like they, like you said, they convey the emotions correctly. Um, But yeah, like, like my, my vision at the end, I'm like, they're going to break up and you're just like, they're going to be together forever because they've learned their lesson. (laughs) 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 I'm like, now everything falls apart, guys. What ofs? <laughs> and I'm like, everything works out. Everything always works out. <laughs> that's, that's literally how I feel about life. <laughs> oh, apparently, yeah. No, I'm, I'm a little too cynical for my own well-being sometimes, I must admit. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me again. And I, I'm so glad I got these movies because like, this was like such a fun watch, watch. a rewatch, both of them. Oh yeah, no, thank you so much for coming back on and doing these films. Um, I do enjoy our little discussions because like me, you're you're just so into film that you know, you have like these nice deep dives into how yeah. stories are told and how they're structured and how they're portrayed and, and all that kind of stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, while we do still kind of like tangent into different places and do all, all the, the fun <laughs> yeah. stuff as well. Yes. Exactly. It's always good. Yeah, so that's it for this episode of Off My Shelf. Until next time, you can follow along on Instagram and Twitter at OhMyShelf, or you can send an email at OhMyShelf at gmail.com. On the next episode, we'll be doing something special. It is another Twitch takeover. Erica will be back, and we are taking over her channel to talk about Fargo and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We are doing the recording on November 12th at 6.30 p.m. Um, So follow Erica on Twitch at HiImErica underscore H-I-I-M-E-R-I-K-A underscore and on Instagram and Twitter at HiAmErica underscore. Join us as we chat about movies, answer questions, and interact with viewers. Hope you'll be here to listen.